This is gonna hurt. It's time, it's time for the Suffering, for the suffering Podcast. podcast. Memories and recollections are a dual-edged sword. The fondness of a grandparent, the encouraging words of a mother, or a great achievement all warm your heart and fill your soul. Remembrance can also bring about regret. For a short time, many are able to repress damaging or harsh memories from their past. Only the good shines through, and we begin to see through rose-colored glasses. But eventually, the horrors of regrettable remembrance will poke through in unhealthy manners. Total Recall can be the path to healing, changing the narrative of forgettable moments and repurposing them to become a strength. Rather than forgetting, we embrace our past, both good and bad. I'm Kevin Donaldson here with Mike Felice, and welcome to Season 4 of The Suffering Podcast. If you're a fan of overcoming adversity and overcoming suffering, then we're for you, because that's what we do here, and that's the stories that we highlight. So do me a favor, hit that like button, subscribe to the channel, please comment, ring the bell so you can get notified of all of our new content, and now you can join. Follow us on all social media so you can find out what we're up to. On this episode of The Suffering Podcast, we welcome back one of our most special guests in the world, and that's Clark Fredericks, to talk about the suffering of forgiveness. If you remember, Clark was in on episode 89 to talk about the suffering of revenge. So it's a natural progression that we talk about the suffering of forgiveness. And Clark, do me a favor. Don't piss me off this time because I'm not in the mood for your uh, shit today. Here we go. <laughs> Starting already. <laughs> you know, they'll be able to see that. Problem. You, you were in that lawsuit, weren't you? I, I was. I was. <laughs> He's one of those latch on guys. You know, he, he hears money out there. Let me go get him. <laughs> Even the Boy Scout lawsuit isn't off bounds for him? Nah. Holy hell. People, t- people said to me last time, why didn't you smack that guy around? And, and, and I came in here determined to smack Mike around. No, I went like this and Clark said, I'm screwing with you. All I know is when Clark started going, my foot hit the ground because I'm like, this guy's going to destroy the fucking studio. I was checking the window over here. <laughs> this is going to be a wild episode, but before we get into it, let's get into our marquee sponsor, and that's Toyota of Hackensack. We don't trust anybody as police, but we do trust them, so go to toyotahackensack.com. Let them find you a car. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Clark, we take a mess a question from our audience. This week's social media question comes from Steve the Pet Peeve. <laughs> what do you see as your power? Ah, uh, well, my power. Um, Curls, bench press. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's everything I've overcome. I've uh, I've survived. I survived eating poisonous mushrooms at age four. Wow. Yeah. I survived open heart surgery at age six. Life or death had a uh, half dollar size hole in my heart that I was born with. Um, I survived childhood molestation. I survived rape at age 12. I survived uh, my next door neighbor uh, who was like a brother to me committing suicide at uh, when I was 17. I survived... My 80-year-old grandmother getting raped and murdered down in Naples, Florida. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I survived drugs and alcohol more than, you know, any rock star could, could dream of doing. I survived having a hit put on me by uh, the mob for gambling debt. I survived my father's death. I survived... Finding my brother dead on our kitchen floor just a few months ago. 
I survived murdering the animal who raped me. I survived putting a knife through my hand. I survived going to prison for five years. I survived countless other really, really close friends' suicides over the years. Um, And I survived failure upon failure upon failure. And my superpower, my power that you ask about would be how I've transformed from all those things, creating a victim to no longer being a victim to using all of that, you know, for strength, you can, you can use all the pain and trauma in your life for destruction, or if you can harness that pain and trauma, you can really use it for construction and uh, become a force for change in the world. And that's what I'm trying to do. Use it for construction instead of destruction. Yeah, yeah. Did so I say it wrong? You're basically. No, no, you said you use it for construction. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Use it for construction instead of destruction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I know what you're saying. You basically stated the mission statement of this show because that's, that's how Mike and I have gotten here to this show. We've used our pain and our trauma to construct where it used to deconstruct us really bad. Yeah, absolutely. But me, me too. I, we ought to think about changing. That was rough. I mean, we got to think about changing the name of the show. <laughs> Mike, what do you think? Yeah, What's your power? I, and, and it's really what Clark said. I mean, I, I believe my power is me. You know, my power is my will, my will to keep moving forward. I mean, we've all been through some shit. Right. And if you don't have that love for yourself or that will to keep moving forward, I mean, to me, that, that would be my power. I think my power is my ability to connect, not to connect with people. And and it's not connecting people to people through your strength. It's connecting through, through your weaknesses. Right. You know, if you're able to show your vulnerability, it, it really brings, that's when people start to listen. So if I were to sit here and tell you that, Hey, listen, I was in the gym today and I put up three fifteen for 15 reps and all that stuff, which I didn't, um, I'm 49 years old. That's those days are long yeah. gone. But if I were to tell you that, you'd be like, oh, you know, that's kind of cool. That's nice. And and then you get into the masculinity thing where it's like, oh, yeah, well, I put up 315 for 16. And then you start going one up and everybody. But the minute you open yourself up, Clark, and you say, oh, I survived childhood rape at the age of 12, all of a sudden people go, really? Oh, my God. And now people start to listen to your words. And your words have much more power after you open up your vulnerabilities. Agreed. So, so that- if you're born to like millionaires and you try to do this show. You know, where everything was given to you your whole life, who's really going to take you serious? Right. You you have to have been there and yeah. and you but you also have to own it as well. And that's that's your that's how I see your power, Clark, is is you own it. But that ability to that I have to lay my heart on the table because nobody's ever going to judge me as much as I judge myself. So once I was able to do that, that's when I really started to connect to people. And thankfully, I have this group of friends now that are that are really close that I can call on when I need them. And they can call on me when they need me. I'm, a, I'm that person that says, when you need me, call me. And that's not just me saying it. I, I will I will do it. I will move stuff around at the detriment of my own family sometimes. You know, I mean, like you said, though, I mean, you connect with people at your weakest level. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's really all about. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, you know, f- on you know Instagram, when I, when I have a post I like, you know, I'll boost it sometimes, you know, to try to gain followers. And uh, I don't know, it was, it was over a year ago, I boosted a post and uh, some dude from Texas, you know, reached out and he's like, I could never 
find inspiration in you. You murdered somebody. And I'm like, I'm like, hey, that that's your prerogative. Yeah, but exactly. in order to have a message, you have to come through a mess. And I go, that's why people find me inspirational is because I came through the biggest mess anybody could ever do. What's the first four words of message? Mess. Mess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Right. Yeah. So the dude totally. And look, I, 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 not everybody's going to be a cheerleader of Clark. You know, yeah. um, I love the Internet trolls. I, I actually <laughs> I, I actually laugh at them. Sometimes. Feed off of them. <laughs> you, you know, because they just they just want attention. They're just trying to grab yourself. And every once in a while, I'll give it to them. I'll, I'll say, you know, they're like, oh, you're 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 a crybaby or whatever. And I'll say, well, you obviously didn't listen to the episode because if you would have heard, it's not about that. And they'll just, that just feeds them on and on. And, and then I'll, I'll start doing really passive aggressive thing. Like put in there, like last word. And then they'll come back and tell them last word. <laughs> just so I get the last word. That's all I want to do. So Steve, the pet peeve, thank you so much for sending that in. Keep sending in your questions and we will try to get them on the air. So the airing date was September 22nd, 2022. We get this guy that was just this weird meeting in here, and he tells us a story that blows our doors off. Yeah, we, we talk all the time about, like, when we come in here, like, our ride home is our de decompression time. Yeah, yeah. You know, me and Kevin will usually call each other and say, like, what do you think? I think it was a silent ride home. We just— I didn't sleep that night. <laughs> we yeah, just, you had told me that. We just went home and— I mean, I just I just stared at the road the whole way home going. I mean, both you guys reached out to me you know, oh, yeah. afterwards, afterwards and then yeah. the day after and then the week after. And you still reach out to me now. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's, that's why I came back here. You well, know? you're a friend. I, well, that's it. You know, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I rewatched, you know, the clip yeah. of like where I'm going into the murder. And, the the and, most popular clip on TikTok that we have. Yeah. <laughs> By far. We get and, I get uh, comment I still get comments about it a year later. <clears throat> you know, I, I started doing EMDR uh therapy. And EMDR therapy is to like process your trauma. And like rewi my, rewire your brain. Gotta yeah, do it as and, well. And my and my trauma's just been floating around in me and I relive it all the time. Like when I do a motivational speech or when I do a podcast, I go back to that. And when I saw <laughs> myself on your podcast <laughs> at, at, talking about the murder, I am back in the house. I am there as I'm here. And and, and you were like, oh, holy shit, bro. I, I, I might have to like stand up and control this guy. What, what you know? Dennis said next was going to predict what I was going to do or however you put it that day. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It yeah. was the first time. And so your episode was 89. It was the first time in 89 episodes where I actually became not concerned for my own safety. No, he was no. concerned for my safety. <laughs> <laughs> that I was actually concerned that you were going that you were going to let that regression yeah. take over you. And I, I, the, I, the veins were like popping out in his neck and everything. And you could tell that you were reliving that moment. Yeah, man, right but here because of your episode is why I do my social media the way it's done for our show. Because that pulling those clips out of there were there were so many of them. And I, I used to do one clip for our show, for our whole show. Because of your episode, now it's a clip for each section. Right, right. Um, because there were so many of them. I'm like, yeah, this is this is what it's supposed to be. So your your episode not only evolved us as human beings, but it evolved the way we put our show out there. 
And it was a, it was, <laughs> it was one. It's, I don't want to draw away from this this show because I want people to watch this show. But watch '89 first. It's a nice little precursor. Right. You know, why don't you give our audience a little bit of a, a short recap, the, the the quick five minute version? I know you're. You know, I was molested uh, by my Boy Scout leader, um, and he had he was a lieutenant in the sheriff's department. You know, uh, most uh, most predators have a position of authority and that's what sustains them to do what they do. You know, it's not the, it's not the troll under the bridge, you know, that grabs a kid, you know, it's, it's somebody, you know, and trust and love hiding in plain sight. Yeah, man. And he's uh, well respected in the community. Oh, absolutely. Um, even after other victims, uh, came forward, there's still people that just like, Oh, Dennis would never do that. No, Dennis was just such a great guy. You know, whatever, you know, that's, that's what they do. You know, they, they went, they went over the victim. They went over the victim's family. They went over the community. That's, they need that whole support network. And so people will be like, never, never could never be him. And that's how he got away with it so many times for so long. Yeah. 40 years plus, man. Was there any ever, was there ever any women victims of him? No. So it was strictly guys. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I was wondering that because that would, he's, he's, he's a. Yes, he's a pedophile, but he's a pedophile for boys. I mean, it doesn't yeah. make it better. I just I was curious. Yeah, there's some that that you know go any child, mm-hmm. you know, and then there's others that stick strictly to girls or strictly to boys. And, and then you get put in the prison that he was working at, <laughs> which is bizarre. <laughs> yeah, when I when I talk to people, you know, who think their life is is over and they're down and out, and well, how can I ever come? <laughs> I'm like. Look, I was arrested for murdering a lieutenant and I was put into the jail where he roamed the halls for 27 years. Uh, And and like, it can't get worse than that. (laughs) Like, come on. Um, And, uh, you know, but I I stayed in the belly of the beast to get tried there, even though I accepted a plea deal. But my lawyer wanted me to stay there because people talk. So the prosecutor is going to hear stuff from cops or whoever who knew w- rumors about him. And and that's what happened. Rumors started circulating and, uh, you know, uh, victims started coming forward. And, uh, you know, I was originally for three years, I faced life in prison, you know, and uh, I, I took a plea deal to second degree manslaughter and, and got five years. The judge gave me the minimum, you know, to his credit. He, he did that. It's a hard thing because I understand why you took the plea deal because you did it. I mean, there's no bones about it. You, you did the crime, but there were some extenuating circumstances behind the crime that nobody can possibly imagine. Right. Could so, it be passion provocation? Uh, I, don't think, you, I don't think that would, that would tie into this. Well, that's so. what we ended yeah. up going with. And, and that, we, we originally started with diminished capacity. And after... I did my psyche vow. You have to do a psyche vow with someone for the defense. And then the prosecutor has to have a psyche vow by their psych. And it was actually his psych that came up with passion provocation. He goes, Clark fits into all the four categories of passion provocation. And that prosecutor probably went, oh, (laughs) shit. shit." No, you know, we had already, you know, had a deal. Um, for, for the plea deal, this was after we went to court for me accepting the plea deal. 
I think one of the things we didn't get into in your original episode was when you took that plea deal and you were going in for another two years, right? So you already done three. Was it time served? Uh, when I when I accepted the plea deal and went to court, uh, I was right at the three-year mark. And it took another six months for sentencing. And then I had to go to Northern State Prison in Newark for a year. So you did a year after your after, after the plea deal. So yeah. You take a plea deal and you realize because I remember I remember very clearly you're sitting in that in that state police barracks thinking your life is totally over. Done. And Done. You're, you're just you're just resigned to the fact that you were going to spend the rest of your life in prison. You get that plea deal and you realize you get a new lease on life. Yeah, you got to go through. I know a year in prison, five years in prison is no joke. But what did that feel like when you you, you realize your life wasn't over? It took till my sentencing, you know, for, you know, I, but actually, you know, it took to signing the plea deal, you know, accepting the plea deal. Um, then I knew I was facing five to 10. I already had three in. So, you know, well, my lawyer's trying to tell me, you know, no judge wants to be at the low end, you know, so expect, especially in a murder case, expect something towards the top of the 10. Middle to top. Yeah. And uh, so he's getting me all pumped up for that. And then, uh, you know, uh, I go to court for the sentencing and, and the judge gives me the minimum five years and apologizes for having to send me to prison for a single day. And on, that, on the record. there was actually a YouTube video of that sentencing where you're sitting there, you're giving your impact statement. Whenever my mother and father asked me if Dennis Pegg had hurt me, I denied it. Throughout my life, I periodically saw Dennis Pegg around town. Frequently, he was with young boys. In the spring of 2011, I saw Dennis Pegg with a boy who was about 13 or 14 years old at the Quick Check in Newton. I immediately suspected that he was molesting the boy. And you're you're laying it all out. You, by the way, you look like a totally different person. Yeah, I mean, you look at the the YouTube videos. You know, like I'm sh I'm trying to shrink down as low as I can under your attorney's just, advice. Just <laughs> trying to hide myself. You know, like uh, you know, I've done a bunch of podcasts, and and people are like, I don't know how he can speak so easily about you know everything that's happened. Well, go look at the, yeah, the YouTube yeah. video of me in court. It, it took a while to. You know, be able to talk about it freely and openly. Well, that's a good point, Mike. When the, the first time you talked about your shooting, your incident, what do you remember? I I remember because I was there. I was there when when he did it in group. You were a completely yep. different person. The way you're telling, like me. you said, slouched down at the shoulders. You 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 feel like lesser of a person. You know, you you feel those. De it's like the demons are on your shoulders and they're just bringing you down. Right. You know. It, it it takes a long time to accept what you do, stick your chest out and say, yeah, this is me. This is what happened. Right. But yep. when you first talk about it, well, it's, it's a, it's a, yeah. a whole different generation. When he first came into group, do you remember the first thing I said to you? Who I, what I did? Yeah. You told me you were a landscaper. There's a reason why. I was embarrassed to tell anybody I was a police officer. I was 30 at the time I was 40 years old. I'm retired at the time he comes in. And I don't want to tell anybody I was a police officer because there's that inevitable question afterwards. Wow, you retired really young. What'd you do? Get on when you're 12? You know, and I didn't want to answer that question because I didn't want didn't to talk. Didn't want to go there yet. I, I didn't want to <laughs> yeah. talk. I wasn't ready. 
So that's why that's a very important point because that's why I told you I was a landscaper. It was a joke. I, you know, obviously I'm there. Everybody knew I was a cop, but it, it was sort of a joke. But I told a lot of people that, yeah, I'm a landscaper because I just didn't want that. I, I wasn't ready. But once right. I was ready, it was a completely different ball game for me. Right. Now, we, now you, let me just interrupt before you go on to your next thing. It's okay. It's uh, only our show. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Welcome to the Clark Frederick Show. The Clark Frederick Show. My guests today are Kevin and Mike. Um, so you, you want to sit over here? Come on. So when, I, when I'm when I'm going to court, the only time I've ever talked about it was to my lawyer and to the psychiatrist. That's it. Two people. My family didn't know anything. The world didn't know anything. So you know, I go walking into court, and there's all my family lined up in the front row. And I'm going to also be talking about my older brother and what happened to him. And I'm going to be talking about my next door neighbor, Jeff, who committed suicide when I was 17 and what happened to him. And, you know, so everybody's right there. This is going to be the first time they're going to hear my story. They, they, they know nothing, you know? Um, and uh, so that, you know, that's like, that way yeah. is like, and I got to bring my brother into it and Jeff into it and everybody's right there. And then every news organization was there. So it's going out to the world and it's just like, and I was a victim still, you know, yeah. the thing I just said, you know, I'm not going to be a victim any longer. Back then I was still a victim. When you're in, uh, when you're in jail, when did it start to transform for you? My second year, my first year, <laughs> you love this. My first year uh, was a complete debacle for me. I was so horribly depressed. And uh, so yeah. if somebody came up and stabbed you, that would have been a good day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I you know, I'm, I'm having suicidal fantasies. Uh, I, you know, I don't want to spend life in, in prison. Why? You know, well, plus, plus you were an addict at that point. Too, yeah. Right? yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so now you're going through all that. Yeah. Withdrawn from drugs. Um, and, uh, you know, I needed a new crutch. You know, I always had, you know, sex as a crutch, gambling as a crutch, drugs, alcohol. Um, and in jail, my crutch became food. And, you know, I just stayed in my cell that first year and just ate uh, the whole shebang chip. <laughs> Don't ever try a whole shebang chip. It's like cocaine, man. They're so good. You just. <laughs> and uh, I put on at the end of each year, you're, you're locked up. They do a little mini physical on you. And I put on 62 pounds in one wow. year. What else are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and uh, you know, they sent me to a cardiologist because I was so swollen. I had edema so bad. And. Uh, so the cardiologist cleared me, and then my lawyer came in uh, one day, and he uh, we're, we're allowed to swear, right? Yeah, go right <laughs> and he's like, he, he, we went into the little cubicle room, and, and he's like, dude, you've become a fat fuck. Wow. <laughs> That's for my lawyer. I go, hey, you don't know what I'm facing here, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's all stress. Yeah. <laughs> so, Did you tell him the glass puts on 60 pounds? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, and, and, and I hadn't been able to work out. You know, I severed all the ligaments and tendons to this hand in the revenge attack against my abuser. You know, I put a knife right through it. And uh, they actually brought in a physical therapist to work with me to get some, you know, movement back in it. And uh, he cleared me, you know, like whatever it was, seven months in, you know, like 
you can start, you know, working out. Mentally, I wasn't ready to work out yet. So at the end of that year, I'm like, all right, I got, I got to start turning this around. And I began working out and I began reading self-help books and inspirational books and, and reading the Bible and getting faith. And, uh, you know, I transformed my life. Well, one question I have for you, though, <clears throat> just going back a little bit, did any of his other victims reach out to you? Yeah, I, I've had other victims who didn't come forward reach out to me and just be like, dude, I'm, I, 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 feel I owe you, pain I owe you an apology, <clears throat> you know, uh, but I just figured he was dead and gone uh, and I just I couldn't come forward. Yeah. You know? Uh, in total, how many how many victims do they surmise that my he had? my, bu- my buddy's uh, wife is the sheriff's secretary, and she sat in on all the meetings on Dennis Peck, and she said to me his victim count has to be well over a hundred. Wow! Yeah. Holy Christ! I had a, I had a guy. Um, Years ago on Facebook, reach out to me privately. He didn't want to become friends. He goes, I'm not sending you a friend request. Please don't send me one. Um, He goes, but in 1970, High Point State Park had camps. And he goes, my camp counselor was Dennis Peck. I didn't even know they had camps. And I didn't know he was a camp counselor. So this goes back to 1970, at least, where he was starting. And this guy said... Dennis took quite a liking in me, and you can guess what happened. You can surmise what happened from yeah. that. And, and he, you know, obviously by not wanting to be friends on Facebook, you know, he's still wrapped up tight by what happened, you know. And God, I wish they would live by your example. Yeah. Because think about how much better your life has come that you've accepted all this stuff and forgave yourself, because that's why I wanted to bring you in here. Yeah. I wanted to bring you in here because the hardest person, I don't know how, you and I have had private conversations about this, is there's certain things in my past that I just cannot get through and I can't, like, uh, you know, the, the, the guy who shot at me, I can forgive him. Okay, I really can. And wholeheartedly, I hold no animosity towards him whatsoever, but there's certain things in my past that I cannot forgive. And you've seen, you've somehow uh, been been a voice of reason for me because You've taught me that you forgave yourself first and foremost. Yeah. You know, this wasn't your fault. Right. I hate to be Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting. It's yeah, not right, your right, fault. Right. Uh, but that's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And people reach out to me all the time, like, do I have to forgive my abuser? And, I, and, and I'm like, absolutely not. You know, forgiveness is for yourself. You know, when, you, when you've experienced immense trauma, you start going off the rails and you start destructing, you know, and uh, and that just heaps more bl- shame and blame on you from the way you're living your life. You know, you're just trying to you're just trying to keep your head above water, you know, so if you're doing drugs or, or prostituting yourself or whatever you're doing just to stay alive, you know, uh, so be it. You know, you've, you've experienced something horrible. That's his big problem. He prostitutes himself. Yeah. So he's, he's bearing his soul and you're making fucking jokes. <laughs> You, you just became Mike. <laughs> it's called role reversal. It's a, it's a common podcast technique. Okay, you want to sit here? <laughs> so I know when you go out and tell your story, not everybody is in the Clark Fredericks fan club. You ever get blowback? Well, like I mentioned that 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 post I boosted, yeah. you know, uh, you know, that's and I've gotten that 
uh, you know, like on a podcast, you know, you, you'll have 10,000 comments, 9,998 9, are, are great. And then two are like, you murdered somebody. I can't get past that. You, know, yeah. you, you, you took the law into your own hands. I can't get past that. Um, Does yeah, that but, get, but if it happened to them. Right. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, when, <clears throat> when, when you've had a lot of trauma um, and you're still harboring that, uh, you know, you're, you're very judgmental against. I was a judgmental person. Because I'm harboring all this crap inside. How, how could I be a loving person yeah. when I didn't love myself? Right. You know, it took me a while to be able to love myself. So I was a judgmental person. So it's just like, like Mike said, you know, they haven't been, walked in your shoes and yet they want to judge, you know, and, and it's just, it gets frustrated. Like, dude, like, did you not just hear the, the the trail of destruction of my, just how I started the show. Like, go eat poison mushrooms then at age four and, and, and move forward with all the crap I had to do. And, and, and you know, uh, it's, you know, you look, you're not going to win everybody over. Yeah. I understand that. But does it, does it bug me? I got to be honest with you. It does. It's, yeah, it's, a it's funny, though, like yeah. when people say, well, I don't agree with you. I don't agree with you either then. No, if you if you don't agree with me, I don't agree with you. But it's, you know, a, if you can't see my point of view, then there's no need for you to be in my life. Out of ten thousand comments, it's those three or four that seem to stick with you, not the other nine hundred nine hundred and nine thousand nine hundred ninety seven that that are great and supportive of you. And I I think that's that's the way most people live their lives. And I've tried to like. Have a dialogue with people who like I, I have no problem. I'll I'll go back and forth with you, but when I confront them, like all right, so what's what's the problem yeah. here? Well, what what don't you like? What can't you get past? And then you and then it's crickets. Well, but a lot of times, people in that position, you, what you did is irrational because you've had a life of chaos. So they're trying to rationalize an irrational behavior. You weren't thinking clearly at that time, and if you were, you'd still be in prison. All right. You you were thinking very unclear and they're trying to put their mindset, their rational or quote unquote rational mindset onto an irrational behavior. You can't do that. It's right. not normal what you did. But once you hear the backstory to it, you'll be like, OK, I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. You know, when somebody goes, well, you murdered and I can't get past it. It's like, all right, dude, that's fine. The ones that really get me. I just like I, I want to like reach through the, the 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 my phone and just be like, is when they say, "Well, I would have gone to my father immediately yeah. had this happened to me at age ten to twelve. Yeah. I would have told blah 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 blah. I, you're a grown adult who's never been through this, and you know exactly how the ten year old you who just got anally raped." By a monster, you know how you're going to respond. Are you are you freaking kidding me? I thought we were going to have another moment where my foot goes on the floor. <laughs> I, I, I'm starting to. I need more EMDR therapy sessions. <laughs> we we got We're going to put EMDR back here. The lights are going to come. You're going to get the handles. Um, but EMDR is is a wonderful treatment in in trying to reorganize that pain that you feel from that stuff because I'm sure it still triggers you. You know, there. I hate to use that word, but unfortunately, it's 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 apt in this case. When you go out and speak, is there anything that's is it still brings you back? That's it's real difficult to talk about it again. 
Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> you know, like when I was in studio here, you know, like when I, when I relive the rape, you know, like a grown man, a lieutenant, supposed to be a man pillar of, of pillar of society, pillar of society yeah. is is raping a twelve year old who's screaming and crying, and he just whispers in your ear, "Just another minute," so that he can yeah. make sure he, you know, fulfills his. Uh, fantasies and know? then he beats up his dog after and that. then and then beats his dog unconscious in front do, of do you know it's just that that particular where he beat the dog yeah <laughs> i got more i got just as many comments here's a 12 year old no, i'm a big dog <laughs> i die they'll, they'll all ask the same question did the dog live <laughs> i have no idea some kid just got anally raped here but you know and, and listen i feel bad for the dog don't get me wrong i got a lot of sympathy for the dog but everybody's asking me, did the dog live? <laughs> yeah. The dog's fine. Okay, the dog's the dog's 97 years old right now, but right. the dog's fine. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about the little kid crying in the corner right there. And that's the <laughs> people care people do care about animals more than yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's there's people that, you know, latch on they they have uh, an easier time, you know, having a relationship with an animal than with humans. Now, so, now so if, the do- if the that dog, part's all right, if no. the dog jumped up and bit Dennis's neck and ripped the jugular, people would say, "Oh, the dog did a great thing." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not you, right? Right. <laughs> right? And the dog accidentally put its own tooth through its own paw. <laughs> right. Exactly, and, now, then, and then put on a safe police shirt when yeah. the cops came. So clear, clear the air for our audience right, right. now. The dog did live. <laughs> Correct? I have no idea. You have no idea. Yeah, so there yeah. you go. The jury's still out. Yeah. Ask Dennis Pink. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's burning in hell. So don't worry about that. Yeah. Um, you know, after, you know, he raped me at his house. And the next time I was in that house was the night I murdered him. Hmm. You know, so uh, that's a 32-year span. So I don't know. The what dog's not going to live that long anyway. No, so I don't know. Uh, I'm sure it wasn't the first time he beat that dog either. No. You, know, so, uh, now, you talked about something earlier where you don't always have to forgive your abuser. Um, being in the place that you are now, coming as far as you have from your former self, is there any forgiveness in your heart for Dennis Pegg? <laughs> Not a bit. <laughs> and that's going to do it for this episode of Suffering Podcast. No, you know, uh, you, you know, I, I, I'm a born again Christian, and I've never had any of the pastors come to me and say, "Clark, to be a good Christian, you know, you need to forgive that. You need to utter those words." But I've had other Christians who like to think they're. A better yeah. Christian than me say, you know, you really have to forgive Dennis Pegg, you know, to move on. Uh, you you need to. For- Why? You need Who's, to forgive yourself. Who, yeah, who says I have to forgive Dennis Pegg? If, if, if not forgiving him is adversely affecting me, then we got a then we got a story there. But if if I can have a healthy, loving, bright life. And not forgive him? Why do I need to say? Why do I need to say something just so somebody else can go to sleep that night feeling better? Oh, good. He, 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 he forgives. He's a good Christian now. Well, a lot of so a lot of people will will use Jesus' example. He forgave his accusers. He forgave his executioners and things things of that nature. But I hate to tell you this. I don't know if this is going to be a new shock to you. You're not Jesus Christ. Okay, there's one of them. So. 
it makes perfect sense why you wouldn't, why you wouldn't be able to, nor, nor there's no obligation to forgive him because he did this to so many different people. Think about how many lives this guy destroyed. Right. And let's, you know, one of the things I want, you know, I was going to talk about, you, you know, since a, a year's past is, and I mentioned like when I went into court, I had to talk about my older brother, you know, with, with Dennis Pegg and, uh, you know, he's sitting in the front row, um, and my older brother is now dead. And I feel that from the grave, Dennis Pegg snatched him because my brother couldn't couldn't address what happened. He couldn't move on from what happened. Um, and my brother self-destructed, um, you know, with alcohol uh, that did him in. You know, I, I what I witnessed uh, living with him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was doing heroin, pain pills, cocaine, Xanax, bottles of vodka, smoking weed, Valiums, mushrooms, whatever I could get my hands on. And I got to say, I was in better shape than my brother was with alcohol. I, I just, it was such insanity. Um, <sighs> well, do you feel responsible in any yeah, way? Well, yeah, I do. Yeah, because, because, because you, I opened up Pandora's box. You yeah. outed him. <clears throat> I outed him and I, he spiraled from my arrest onward, you know? Uh, well, what do you think would have been your brother's save, savior if he spiraled? You, you, you were spiraling too. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, nobody was going to get me to talk about it either. Like, nobody knew. Nobody, nobody was going to force Clark to, I, I, I went to, I dated a, uh, a girl for a few years and uh, we went to couples therapy and in couples therapy, she tells the therapist how she was abused as a child. Now, you would think, wow, what a what a segue right into Clark. Come on, Clark. Now you can air all your dirty laundry. And I'm just like, <sighs> <laughs> is the hour over yet? <laughs> Fifteen more minutes. boy. You know, I just it wasn't going to come out. I wasn't ready. Um uh, you know, it would have been a perfect opportunity in that environment for me to like, but I sealed myself shut at 12 when my mind said, we are never, ever, ever going to talk about this. Talking about it's reliving it. And we're not going to relive it. And that was the worst thing my mind could have, could have done to me, you know? So a lot of times people, people forget that you are in a much better place than you were, you know, before, before Dennis's rightful death. Um, but people have this misconception of people who go out and advocate like you do for victims of child sexual abuse, things like that, that you got it all together. And it's a huge mistake that people make. <laughs> no. it, it really does. Be, and people think that Mike and I, when we talk about how we overcame our trauma, that we don't still have our moments. Right. There, there are still nights I cry myself to sleep. Don't. Yeah. But <laughs> that's because I won't give it up for you because we're in couples therapy too. Um, <laughs> Uh, but people think that you have it all together and mm. I want you to, to tell everybody cause we had a little bit of a discussion. You backslide sometimes too. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah man. Um, you know, back in, back in December, I, I hurt my shoulder lifting. So I lowered my weights, lowered my weights, lowered my weights. It's still killing me. And I just had to stop working out. And, uh, you know, I'm going in, I'm doing the treadmill. Going and, through the motions. At, 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 3.2 for 20 minutes, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so that was December and then February. 
I come home and I find my brother dead on the on the kitchen floor. I give him CPR until the paramedics get there. They work on him. And uh, that just, you know, like I said, I, you know, you said, do you feel guilty at all? And I felt guilty. You know, I, I still do. And that sent me spiraling. And then I, my 94 year old mother, you know, her, her, her mission in life was to keep my brother alive. And that mission came to a screeching halt. So she fell into a deep depression. So I'm coming home, cooking these big meals for her, just trying to lift her spirits, you know. And, you know, I just, I mentally couldn't go to the gym. I just wasn't into it. You know, I'm, I'm working and then I'm going home to cook these meals and just eat with her and talk to her and try to cheer her up. And, uh, you know, so it was six months of backsliding. And uh, I looked my, at myself in the mirror in May of this year. <laughs> and just like my lawyer said to me, I was like, holy hell, you fat fuck. You did it. You did it to yourself again. Well, I'm going to surprise you because I think we got a picture. Andrew, why don't you put that picture up of Clark's inevitable backslide yeah, down the rabbit hole. But, the, but that's how you pick yourself up because you have to remember what it was like because we have very short term memories. You know, you're, you're in good. Last time you were in here, you were in awesome shape. You know, you were, oh, look at that. Yeah, there there it is. Look at that. <laughs> so there's, there's the before picture uh, six months ago. So I went, on a, uh, I went on a tear. I started doing burpees again. And uh, I, could, I, I could barely do 30 burpees when I started, like, winded dying. I'm doing them in my driveway because I didn't want to do them at the gym. <laughs> you didn't and, want anybody to see you. I didn't want anybody to see me. <laughs> uh, but I was determined, like, to just do them and stick with it. And, uh, you know, now I bang out 300 at a clip instead of 30. And uh, so six months later on the uh, right, you see, uh, you know, how I turned it around, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I, I reeled myself. How where would the backsliding? How far would it have yeah. gone if I didn't reel it in? You know, I have a foundation. I, I start my day, you know, with wins every day. You know, I saw your mirror, so you do your accountability mirror. Yeah, you know, and, uh, you know, so I, the people without a foundation, the people who don't have a routine that they do every morning, they don't start with wins. They're, they're the ones who could backslide all the way, yeah. all the way back, Keep you know, sliding. drugs, alcohol, yada, yada, yada. Do you, you, you ever think during that, during your backslide time, nah. get a little drink? No. Nah. Well, that's nah. good. That's a, yeah. that's, a yeah, that's a positive thing. That's a win. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. It never, uh, that never uh, entered. Well, you can't build anything on a on a broken foundation. You right. build the most beautiful house in the world. The foundation shit, it's going to come to the ground. Right. Yeah. So you start your day with wins now. Like, what's? Yeah. Give us a win for an example. What's your win today? Uh, Coming to the suffering podcast, obviously. Obviously, yeah. I get up early. You know, I I, I get up usually four thirty. Um, Rise before back, your enemy. Back back in May. I, I, you know, I pushed my clock all the way till getting up after 6.30 and then just having time to woof some eggs down quick and get to work by 8, you know. So, uh, you know, now I get up early. I, 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 heard on, uh, I heard Troy Aikman on a, a podcast talk about this guy, Wim Hof. I was doing. Oh, yeah. Yo, you know? I know Wim Hof very oh, well. Oh, yeah. So, uh I've been doing his deep breathing uh, meditation. You want to call it a meditation? I don't know if it's really a meditation, but it's deep breathing and breath hold. Um, 
it's only it you know takes like eleven minutes in the morning. So read read more about Wim Hof. He's a, he's an anomaly. First of all, he's a he's a physical anomaly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But through his breathing breathing, I think he ran a, a marathon in just shorts, like a, a full marathon in like twenty degree weather. Really? Yeah, because he's able to control his breath. Yeah, yeah. And and that's helped me doing three hundred burpees at fifty eight years old. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not I'm not a spring chicken anymore. You know, so I do I do that every morning. I, I eat healthy, you know, it's not like I'm getting up and, and eating muffins and bagels and, you know, so it's just eggs and chicken sausage. Um, I pray every morning, you know, long, long stint of prayer, uh, just gratitude uh, for another day. Happy to be alive, grateful to be alive. You know, my life could have been over so many times. I could be sitting in a prison. Still. Wasting away. Yeah. And uh, I'm you, just grateful. It could be something as simple as, hey, you know what? I got enough to make my car payment today. Yeah. Something I mean, it's just, very simple. Yeah. You know, uh, you know so, that, so that's how I start off. You know, it's just get up early. That's win number one. Pray. Win number two. Deep breathing with Wim Hof. Win number three. Healthy breakfast, win number four. So you set the tone for your day, you know? And uh, and then, you know, I hit the gym after work every day. I got another book for you to read. So it's a book by a guy named James Nestor called Breathe. Never heard of it. Oh, you got to, this, this is an amazing book. It'll, it'll show you that we most as a species in modern society breathe wrong. I'll give you an example. Like, my teeth are all jacked up and I've been a mouth, I've been a mouth breather my entire life because I broke my nose so many times. Yeah, me too. So you would think, go back seven, eight hundred years ago, thousand years ago, you would think they don't have dentists, so their teeth are going to be all messed up. Nope. Their teeth are perfect because mouth breathing messes up your palate and it shifts your teeth. So something as simple as that. And then there's sinus infections and then our allergy counts are going up because we're more allergic because we're mouth breathing. If we nose breathe, it humidifies the air, it filters the air, it gets to your body in the right temperature. Breathe by James Nestor. It'll change the way you think, especially if you're a Wim Hof guy. Yeah, yeah. And they yeah. talk about Wim Hof in there as well. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's one of those books where you read over and over again. Right. Yeah. yeah. And this episode is brought to you by Breathe by James Nestor. <laughs> so you got a lot of stuff. You got a lot of irons in the fire right now. Yeah. And, you know, and then every morning I wake up to, I don't know how many messages are 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 waiting to be answered, you know, so that's. You know, that's a that's another thing I do is, you know, I'll make posts, uh, social media posts in the morning. I'll answer the messages and, and then I'm off to work and then uh, answer more messages at night. You know, uh, my girlfriend's very uh, she she understands my mission and my goal, you know, so and I'll, you know, like you said, a lot of time to the de- detriment of your family, you're mm-hmm. doing stuff and to the detriment of my relationship, I'm I'm. I'm answering, you know, when somebody's like, Clark, please help me. I'm, I'm, I'm at the end of my rope. You know, what, what can I do? You know, like, how can I, how can I go watch a Netflix movie with her? What you <laughs> this say, person's like, like you I'm, said, it, you know, it's to, my rope. it's to the detriment of your, of your family, but it's to the betterment of yourself. It's that random you act know? of kindness that we talked about. Yeah. We talked about that on Instagram live tonight. Just those little random acts of kindness by you giving your voice to somebody who's reaching out to you in need. You don't have you have no idea what that's going to do to them long term. That that may just relieve them, let them last another day because tomorrow is a new day and tomorrow could be it could change everything around. You know, it's you're almost breaking through to that diamond mind and most people will just quit. Yeah, a guy yesterday is like 
Clark, uh, my son just died of a fentanyl overdose, and I am completely dis- devastated and destroyed. <sighs> what do I do? You know. You know so I, uh, you know, I wrote him a long message, and I said, you know, uh, at some point you can uh, make some good of this. You, you, you can start telling his story in AA meetings, NA meetings. I have a, a lady by me who I, I'm friends with whose son died of a fentanyl overdose, and she started an Al-Anon group in my county. I go, maybe you can do something like that. You know, you, you'll figure it out, you know, down the road, you know. Uh, you know, I always I always tell people I, I like to recite a line from uh, Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And the valley of the shadow of death is simply the hell our life can take on at any moment. This guy is going through a valley of the shadow of death right now. I went through a valley of the shadow of death six months ago, you know, finding my brother dead. Um, but I tell everybody there's one word in that that saying that is the most important word, and it's even though I walk through. Yeah. You're, that's not, the you're not stopping in there. Right. I s- set up camp in the Valley of the Shadow of Death and built a fire and was roasting marshmallows for decades, you know, self-destructing. Don't do You're going to hit the skids, realize you're going through a dark period, and then you got to get yourself out of it. There's a quote I have on my phone, which is pretty much the same thing. When you're going through hell, keep going. Yeah. Well, that's yep. exactly it. Yeah, exactly yep. it. But those little nuggets of help that you're giving people, and, and you're not a trained therapist and help him to get through this. You're just a guy who had a really shitty childhood and a shitty adulthood, and there's some other shitty things that have happened <laughs> in your life, who got a couple extra tools. But those little things that you give out, they have a way of coming, even though you don't want anything back, they have a way of coming back to you tenfold. You know, you, you give one little random act of kindness Boy, it comes back to you. And when you really reach somebody and you can tell that they're listening to you, there is no greater feeling in the world where you've made an impact on somebody's life. And I know for a fact that you made, you made an impact on my life. I know you made an impact on Mike's that, life. 100%. Um, so You almost made an impact on my nose that last night, too. But. <laughs> <laughs> this episode isn't over yet. There's still time. So. <laughs> I know he's, 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 he's cocking the gun. And I'm just yeah. waiting for him to fire a bullet. I just got this pen in my hand. I'm going. To- <laughs> <laughs> so what else you got coming up? Um, I've been working for two years on a, uh, I signed a uh, deal for a multi-episode documentary with a producer two years ago. Um, and just, uh, I want to say three weeks ago, I got the first episode. And, you know, I was nervous, uh, like, you know, uh, let's see what happens here. And and I got to tell you, I was blown away by it. Um, It was it was utterly fantastic. See your life up on the big screen like that. It's it's got to be humbling. Yeah, I'm not even in the first episode. Like uh, my voice is. uh, But it it was really well done. And she's supposed to have uh, the other three episodes finished, edited this month. Um, so hopefully by the end of the month, I'll have all four to review. And, uh, and then it's, uh, off to, uh, the streaming service, you know, uh, she has a uh, relative who runs a division at Netflix. So we're hoping, uh, Netflix, uh, you know, he, she saw him at a uh, funeral eight months ago and he said, Oh, you know, uh, what are you working on now? So she gave him a quick synopsis of my story and he's like, when it's done, bring it to me. 
So uh, if the other three episodes are anything like the first one, you know, I think we got something good. Um, and when it comes out, you got to tell us because we will just bombard everything out. Yeah, I don't know if you, uh, you know, want to have a guest for third time, uh, you know. But that, uh, <laughs> I was just that would be a first, wouldn't it? Third time? No, we've had the Palma in here. We've had, times. yeah, we've had yeah, the Palma in like fifteen times. He's the, just the Palma's just he's he's messed up. <laughs> no, but all serious, you're you are family. You are a good friend of ours, and we want to see this succeed because not only because we like you, because this story holds a lot of weight. This story, it can really heal. Yeah. It has absolutely. a lot of power to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Man. Yeah, and, and, and like I said, Kevin and I talk all the time about like shows that impacted us. And there's some shows that we said, yeah, yeah, mm, yeah. it was all right. You know, it's content, you know. Yeah. Right. But your show, your, you know, your episode, your story really impacted both of us. Really yeah. did. Thanks, man. It really um, did. My whole thing is, is to just get people, you know, stop, self, stop self-destructing, you know, stop being a victim, you know, uh, and it's tough. It's tough when, when you've been a victim your whole life to suddenly just flip, flip the switch, you know, and, uh, but that's what I'm trying to get people to do. And, uh, well, is that your goal with all these projects is, is just to get out of that victim mentality? Yeah. I mean, that's one of the main goals, you know, when, when you're a victim, it, it, it's going to destroy your life. You know, it just, uh, it's, it's time consuming. Yeah, it, I mean, it takes and, over and, your every, every and it thought. seems like everybody in society's a victim now. Yeah. You know, it, it's your your sexual persuasion. You're a victim. Your color. You're a victim. Your race. You're a victim. Your religion. You're a victim. You know, everybody's a victim. Like, what's it going to do for you being a victim? Like, I don't want to be a victim. I don't. I don't want the government to take care of me. I want to fend for myself, and I I want to build people up for them to fend for themselves. You know, so um. You know, uh, on top of the documentary that's almost done, uh, I, I signed a book deal uh, with Simon and Schuster, and been working. Uh, you know, I wrote a manuscript when I was in prison. Um, I hired a uh, a, a uh, editor for the L.A. Times who worked forty one years for the L.A. Times, and he's written several books. And I hired him to. Turned me from the ugly ducky duckling into the beautiful swan, you know. So uh, you still got a long way to go, you rat bastard, <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> I know. Did you hear that? Boom! Damn it! I tried. <laughs> so the uh, the book is uh, it's almost done. You know, uh, by the end of the year it'll be done. Uh, when we're gonna publish, I'm not sure. 2024 is going to be a big year for you. So uh, we'll see. You know, do you guys so get- those and, uh, you know, I do speeches. You know, I got a speech coming up, as I told you guys, you know, for uh, uh, the sex crime officers of New Jersey's convention. Do you remember uh, uh, Elizabeth Smart? Out yeah. In Utah? Oh, yeah. Yeah. She, she's speaking also uh, really? at this convention. What are you going to talk about? <laughs> The suffering podcast. Oh, I almost beat the hell out of this guy, Mike. On a, uh, <laughs> yeah, just throw it when you're out there. Throw the suffering podcast a bone, right? Yeah. No, that's that's cool. Elizabeth Smart. She yeah. she's I. Yeah. You don't hear anything about her, but she went through some. <laughs> yeah, she she got taken out of her bedroom. Yeah. You know, at yeah. nine, I think nine years old or something. Yeah, and the guy kept her as like a concubine. Right. Yeah, and then yeah. he like put her out on the sh- like had her completely brainwashed, and she was out on the street handing out relig- religious pamphlets, and somebody like noticed 
noticed her. Like, yeah. well, there's a lot of similarities between her abductor and Dennis Pegg because you almost get like a Marfan syndrome where you start blaming yourself and you start sympathizing with, you know, you, they destroyed your life. It's not that you, you know, you think Dennis Pegg did anything right, but you start blaming yourself more than you're blaming the person. Next to my father, I looked up to Dennis Pegg the most, you know, uh, and again, like a lot of abusers are a family member, you mm. know, the father, the mother. It, it's it's not like they're strangers, you know. So, yeah, you know, and that messes with your mind. Like you love the person and they're doing stuff and you don't know if, you know, it, it confuses. Is this part of love? And it, it just makes a whole mess of your life. That's what It's got to be so confusing. A person that you looked up to and yeah. they're doing these, these things to you and like you said, that's why that's where I believe the victim part starts right there. You know, you become the victim at that point, but you don't really know you're the victim. Right. You know, right. You just, is this the way it's supposed to be? I mean, you're too young to even know what feelings are. Yeah. It's a mind fuck. Yeah. You know, it mm. just completely mind fucks you. you know? And it takes a long, long time to un, it, unfuck it, you. It's a lifelong mind fuck now for you. Yeah, man. You know, it's, it's, it's listen. be dealing with crap. Like I said, I'm, I'm sure it's an everyday battle to you. Oh, absolutely, man. You know, I look, I've got an arsenal of 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 information I can share with others. Uh it but that doesn't mean I'm I'm like uh healed in any way. I'm I'm a work in progress, just like everybody else is. And else. I'm just trying to bring them up with me. You know, I might be a a, a a one level above them. And I'm trying to get them up to my level. That's all, you know, but I still got many levels to go myself. I, I think you're a work in progress until you're six feet under. Yeah, man. Your whole life is work in progress. Absolutely. Well, when you when you complete your work, then your mission's over. But <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you do when you climb to the top of the mountain? You go find another freaking mountain to climb. It's just the know? base of the next mountain you got to climb. That's it, brother. Now I was going to say jump. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you could grab... Clark Fredericks, at 12 years old, who just had this horrible thing happen to them. And you, you're you talking as yourself right now, given the tools and the information that you know and your your life transformation. What what do you think you would tell him, that little Clark 12-year-old who just had something awful happen to him? Yeah, well, I tell, I tell people, like, you know, breaking your silence is the toughest thing to do, but the most rewarding. How can you grow or heal from anything if you can't even talk about it like do you think that would fall on deaf ears on a 12 year old kid though well i would tell my i would tell myself look when your father sits you down on your bed and says did dennis Pegg ever touch you don't be so afraid to tell him what happened you know uh because you you have you will now have the burden of knowledge if you deny this is where your life is going and it's not good right if you say something this is the direction your life could go. And I and I get teenagers on Instagram reaching out to me privately and like telling me, you know, like you're the first person I'm sharing this with. And I'm like, all right, well, you're 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 way above where I was yeah, at no your kidding. age. You know, I, I didn't have an Internet to reach out to anybody, you know, so you didn't have a 20 or 30 year spiral. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I'm trying to prevent them from from doing. You know, do you think it was necessary though to get to where you are now that you had to go through that spiral? You know, yeah, I, 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 so I just told somebody, you know, on a on a on a post, uh, everything worked out the way it had to work out, hmm. including the murder. You know, I do, that doesn't mean I'm saying 
for the next victim. They have to murder their, you know, <laughs> or their abuse. It's, it's Dennis Pegg should never have had a, a 40 plus year reign of terror. I should never have killed them. So many victims want to do what I did. And I'm like, I make posts all the time about prison life and jail life. Cause you do not want to go there. It's, it's not a life worth living. I go, I go, you can turn your life around and grow and heal and use that pain to transform yourself and, and to help others and to do something magical with your life. It doesn't mean because you had this crap done to you, your life is destroyed. And, and that's what I just try to get through to people. And I go, and if you follow my footsteps, you're done. Your life is done. You're, you're, gonna, you're not going to get a five-year deal like I got. <laughs> I had the perfect storm to get my deal. You're you're gonna you're gonna do life in prison, and prison is such misery, man. It's just not worth living. Somebody described prison to me like this. This might not be an apt, apt analogy, but it's it's a lot like high school. It's because the sex you want you don't get, and the sex you get you don't want. <laughs> and you say I'm demented. <laughs> I, I didn't say it. I didn't make yeah. that up. I, I just thought that was. But something. you brought it up. <laughs> now. Those people who reach out to you, what is what is the advice that the little advice that you can give them or little guidance suggestion? Yeah, I, well, I mean, it's just, you know, that foundation, get a solid foundation. You know, you, one, you got to quit drugs and alcohol, you know, <laughs> like you, you, we got to start there, you know, uh, find faith. You know, so many people are just, you know, like when you're abused, it's a faith killer. You know, especially at a young age, because your little mind will be like, well, what the hell good is faith? How, how could, if, how if could this just happen? How me? could there be a God if this is happening right. to me? Yeah. And when I got arrested and I tried to pray, I couldn't even pray. Like I, my mind would just flood with with images of the rape or images of the murder. Um, and I would have to, like, shake my head to get them out. And I signed up uh, for a Bible study. And I can't pray, and I you know, and I'm going to this Bible study, and I'm like, man, if this dude is some some you know ultra right wing you know religious fanatic wagging his finger at me, I'm going to tell the guards get me out of here right now, you know. So I had myself all jacked up, and uh, this guy, brother Bob, gave me a hug, and he whispered in my ear, "I've been praying for you, and my congregation's been praying for you." I go. I pull away from him. I go, you know who I am? He goes, I know who you are. And we, he went into, in that Bible study, he didn't do Bible study that night. He went in, he started off with God's free will. Now, when I was growing up in the Episcopal church, it was God was a sovereign God in charge of everything. You know, if you did good, good things will happen to you. If you step out of line, you incur God's wrath. You know, he was an old minister and this is, that's how they talked. And then Brother Bob's telling me, God is not a sovereign God. We've all been given free will. Mike can use his free will for evil, as he usually does. <laughs> and, and Clark can use his free will for good, as he rarely did throughout the years. But, uh, you know, and, and good things or bad things can happen to you. And it's if God's interjecting in every bad situation, we're just puppets on a string. Then it just becomes normal. No. It's just. That's the we're, base. We're just marionettes. That's the know? basis of faith. Yeah. So. 
I heard that that night. And it, it released my anger towards God. You talk about, you know, did I forgive Dennis Peck? No, I don't, I don't forgive Dennis Peck. I forgave God. I had, I had a, 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 a barrier between me and God from age 12. And that night, God bless brother Bob. He was able to tear that barrier down for me by talking about free will. So my pastor, Pastor Adam Burt, he, he did that same thing to me. One day he just says, hey, KD, I'm praying for you. I wasn't, I wasn't. In the church, I just, it was just a, a guy I had on a guest because he was a pro hockey player, in all honesty, but he's a pastor. He says, Hey, Katie, I'm praying for you. I remember, and he texted to me. I'm looking, I'm like, Who the fuck are you to pay, pray for me? What the, what, and I just, it just ate at me and ate at me and ate at me until finally I show up at church. And I, re, when I showed up at church, my, my initial intention was, Who the fuck do you think you are praying for me? Like, seriously, who are you? And then I sat and I listened and then, the rest is somewhat history. So he did his job, just like Brother Bob did his job with you. Yeah. So where can we find you? You know, well, 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 you know one other thing quick. Um, you know, we both did a uh, Soft White Underbelly podcast, and, and I, I did a follow-up on there. But the first time I was on, like, I, I mentioned just, like, the Brother Bob story, whatever, and, and the atheists – come out of the woodworks and they just <laughs> they mocked me they 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 scoffed at me like ah uh, you've you've gone from you know one addiction to another this one's a fairy tale though is another holy roller yeah. <laughs> and and uh you know i when i went on for the for the for the second round on soft Art underbelly you know i uh i i, I brought it up and i'm like and I'm like, hey, like, look, if you want to be an atheist, be an atheist. If I want to, if somebody comes to me and says, this beautiful red strawberry, when I eat it, the, the juice goes down into my heart and it just softens me. It makes me feel so good. I just love strawberries have transformed my life. Am I, am I going to go to him? You fool. It's a friggin' <laughs> strawberry. It can't transform your life. No, like. If the strawberry transforms your life, God bless you. If, if if my faith has transformed the ugliness I carried in my heart for all those years, if it's softened me and it's brought light back into my being that was so dark, why would you scoff at me for that? Yeah. Let let me let me be bright inside again. You're you're taking positive steps, and some people, you know, it's uh, a it, lot it, of people. Don't like don't the positive like steps. <laughs> People are opinionated too. You know, if you don't, if you don't think their way, you're thinking the wrong way. <laughs> so, where can our audience find you? Yeah, and uh, just uh, you know, I post my, mainly on uh, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, my Facebook, I've got a business page. The other one's full, the private one, and it's just under Clark Fredericks. Um, we'll put all of those in in the show notes as well. Yeah, so you know, uh, follow me on Instagram. Uh, you know, uh, it's the easiest thing. I've got a website, ClarkFredericks.com, and you can uh, you can punch in uh, you know like for updates, and I'll update you on the book and the uh, documentary and speeches. You know, uh, if I'm speaking in your area and it's a public event, uh, you know, you, people can come out. Hold on if they go see you speak. That's all I can say. Tell them, hold on. And do not make any inappropriate jokes while Clark is speaking. That's the big thing. Because I'm reliving it, so be careful. <laughs> I would love to go there and heckle them. 
He'd go, Mike's here again. Yeah. Uh, believe it or not, we're coming to the end of this thing, Clark. Wow, that flew by. Yeah, didn't it? Holy Christ. Yeah. I want to I know, I want to ask the same question I asked you at the end of the last one, because I don't know if your answer is different or not. You've gone through this, and it just continued, this suffering called the life of Clark Fredericks. What do you think it's taught you? Um, I mean, you know, I would love to say before the murder, I was, you know, such a compassionate, empathetic person. But again, when you, when, when your heart's filled with, with darkness and hate and rage and anger, you know, I was, I was the life of the party, but I wasn't this compassionate, empathetic person. Um, I could be great for a one night stand. But I'm a, I was the wrong person for a relationship, you know. So everything's taught me. Everything is a life lesson, especially bad things, you know. And that's uh, I've got a, a a suitcase full of life lessons now, and uh, and that's what I just try to share with people. You know, not everything's going to be a home run that's going to resonate with people, um, but there's something in my arsenal for every person, and uh, you know. <laughs> Am I glad I got raped? <laughs> no. <laughs> Am I glad I've survived everything so that I can have a message to help other people? Yeah, that part of it's great. You know, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm here, I'm alive, and uh, I'm going to help as many people with the time I have left. Your, your suitcase of life lessons is going to help a lot of people. Like, and and that that's your purpose now. Yeah, yeah. It's like a moving truck. Yeah. Um, but without all that stuff, as horrible as it was, we wouldn't have Clark Fredericks. Yeah, I mean, I had to go through all the crap. And, and I'm grateful for you. Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks, guys. Again, yep. I appreciate it. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Suffering Podcast: The Suffering of Forgiveness with Clark Fredericks. And let's think about all the stuff that we learned. Use pain for construction rather than deconstruction. Messages come through a mess. Jailhouse glass puts on 60 pounds. <laughs> we all backslide. Everything is a life lesson. But most importantly, you went all through that stuff and you tried to destroy yourself. But the reason you couldn't do it is because you're not done yet. And that's going to do it for this episode. Don't forget to go to popple.com for a digital business card. Put in the code TSP20 for a 20% discount. Follow us on all social media. That's Twitter, Facebook, uh, Clapper, LinkedIn, Instagram, only fans. There you go. <laughs> follow Mike at Mike underscore Felice. Follow me at Real Kevin Donaldson. And of course, follow the Suffering Podcast, and we'll see you on the next episode. 